0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly name dindy dindy dong, come <laughs> on. Into Messi, And I will love it if we beat them.
1: Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast
0: with Gary Kearney. Aguero. Hi, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. My name is Gary Carnine. Joining me for this episode is Gerard Jones. Gerard is UEFA holder, 13 years of experience in the UK, US, Italy, Norway and New Zealand. He has a sports coaching degree as well as his masters in sports performance. He is recently the head of the academy at Bristol Rovers and he's the author of the book Let's Talk Soccer. So we're just going to have a quick chat before Gerard delivers a webinar to the Modern Soccer Coach Mentee Group on communicating your philosophy. So last month we worked with the Mentee Group on building your philosophy, creating your philosophy. Uh, this month is all about communication and Gerard is, as you're going to find out, pretty passionate and enthusiastic and keen about that that process and how that process should be aligned with uh, your language and your sessions and how you speak to your players so some great views here i would urge you to check out his book check out his uh his, his twitter i will put a handle on the on the podcast enjoy here we go thanks for joining me today all right thank you for having me no bother no. i just catching you before you do the webinar with uh, the mentees first up comparisons between the English academy system and US youth soccer haven't worked in both. What's your thoughts?
1: Well, I think, obviously, they're very different. Probably the, the benefit, even though it has a plus and a minus, the benefit with the American players is that the, the training schedule, the games programmes, are more intense. So they're playing, obviously, more games at a weekend. They're playing in more tournaments. They've got experience of tournament football. And they've probably got a greater experience of winning, certainly at younger ages. Uh, That's probably one of the major differences, because certainly in the academy system in England, we're starting to introduce obviously more clubs are doing more tournaments, more futsal, different variations, playing different teams from different parts of the world in the games programme. Certainly the games programme isn't as robust as it could be. You know, if we're talking about preparing a player for, you know, 40 game season or whatever it may be, how do you prepare a player for the physical demands of the elite game? I think certainly the, the, the training load and the games load in America is more intense. Uh, equally it has its negatives as well, because I think they do it at too early an age, which is probably a bad thing. Uh, I think physically the American players are better. They're certainly stronger and they're more athletic. And that's something that the Americans are known for is producing athletes. I think the the English players, or certainly players in Britain, probably have a better understanding of the game tactically. They're probably more technically proficient. And I, I think, overall, the game understanding is far superior. I think they're probably the major ones. And the physical side of it as well. You know, in England, and I noticed this with players who came over and have played Division One college and what have you in America, and they've come to England, they've actually struggled even at non-league level, dealing with the physicality of the man's game, you know, dealing with a, a tackle, as, as we all know, the referees aren't exactly the best in America. They're quite poor. Um, I know it might be a general statement, but from what I've seen, they're quite poor. And effectively, a tackle in England is far worse than a tackle in America. I think you get, you know, a lot. There's, I think it's hard for them to adapt at first because they probably think it's a foul, but actually, it isn't.
0: That On that physicality piece, then, we I mean, haven't played in the U.S. college structure and haven't worked in it for 10, 15 years. They spend, We no, no player has in the world has more access to the gym or strength and conditioning programs than the U.S. player. Mm-hmm. So you, and I completely agree with you. I, I think, I see a player from England, Ireland, Spain, France coming over here and physically changing their body is it the lack of physicality in the game over here, or is the fact that they're being exposed to a gym workout with a football coach or a basketball coach that isn't necessarily preparing them for the soccer?
1: Well, I think he's coming into playing in England more. The start, obviously, the sports science and the, the we're still quite far away though in terms of how we really develop our players in terms of that physical output, that strength and conditioning element, uh, the physical individual plans. I think a lot of the plans going on, not in all academies, but some academies, they tend to be quite generic. Mm. And perhaps it's only the real top clubs that maybe have a better understanding of how to really individualise that work. I think when they come to America, they get a bit wild, don't they, at first? By how much detail that you go into. But I think the physicality of the game over here is far superior than it is in America. I think in England, it's probably more intense. It's definitely more aggressive. Mm. Whereas in America, I think it's probably... They'd be more technical. I don't know if you'd agree. Also, the season—if you're talking about college—the the season's a lot different, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's not very long. And in the college game as well, you know, how many college head coaches are playing freshmen? You know, real first years that are coming in. Whereas in England, it doesn't matter whether you're a an under eighteen, a, a sixteen year old, or whatever. If you're good enough, and the opportunity is there, typically, if you're good, you 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 will get played. Or you'll be involved in some way, and we're all about giving them opportunities, even if it's sending them out on loan or whatever. I don't know where players in America, because of how short the college season is, if they're getting a robustness of playing, you know, a long season, the amount of games that they really need in their game program. I don't know what
0: you think to that. No, I uh, I definitely see that on the on the physical side. You look at the the US player and. And then you look at the U.S. national team, and you see that athletically there's not a problem, but they they don't press, do they? They don't they don't have a reputation of, and that's where I thought Klinsman was going to change it, because I thought yeah. I thought he was going to take it to another level in terms of moving it onto the pitch, but he he didn't do that.
1: Well, they actually covered, if I'm right, if I remember this stat correctly, from one of the last World Cups. The Americans covered the most amount of distance, didn't they? They were physically one of the best teams, but they weren't successful. Really. Mm. And it's amazing. Uh, that's the nail on the head in terms of athletes, but I think their understanding, the game intelligence is where they lack. And I think a lot of the problems there could be, even though it's a good thing, that there is that winning culture at club soccer level. Unfortunately, it's more about teams at club soccer level, isn't it?
0: Absolutely.
1: So, We're not developing the individual, whereas what we've got better probably in Europe is that we understand that it's not about teams and it's also not about the ego of the coach. In America, I remember, you know, the success of one of my clubs, the success of our programme, was if we could say if we'd won a state championship, how well we've done in the league, how many players have, how many teams have done and what they've won and obviously from that how many players have gone on and maybe played college or whatever. But effectively it was more about the team individual the team achievements. Whereas in England, you know, let's say Arsenal or West Ham Academy, nobody cares if you won the Premier League Cup or whatever. It's how many players have you got in the first team, how many have you sold? And I think that's a better mentality and that's probably why America's struggled because they haven't got the individual player development model right yet. They've got a blooming unbelievable structure, unbelievable facilities, and uh, some of the support networks around it are good.
0: Yeah, on on that topic, then I I read an interview with you recently, and it was saying that your your coaching philosophy is focused around players' strengths as opposed to their weaknesses. So uh, you mentioned about teams there, and uh, which I completely see. We're a bit more team oriented in this country. But do you also think then coaches are conditioned to do the opposite of that, to focus on a player's weaknesses rather than their strengths? Just the way Probably. coach education is almost set up, find weakness, fix it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I th- it's funny because actually in one of my last roles, I remember posing this to quite an experienced coach in the group at the academy. And he was actually really pleased with my co- He, he learned something. He actually said, you know what, I never ever considered it. Um, I think we always focus on, if you're going to call it like, red-amber-green, we always focus on the reds, but how often do we work on the greens? You know, a great story, I don't have all the facts, but the generalisation of the story was uh, a striker who's played at Premier League level, Yacouba, with Middlesbrough, and it was a story that I heard at a conference years ago, so I can't remember all the facts, but the long and short was, he was going through a, a period where he wasn't scoring, allegedly, and one of the coaches at the time decided that he'd work on his heading, and try and work on areas to try and improve his finishing and different types of finish. And he ended up becoming, obviously, lacking confidence and struggling and not scoring goals. And they asked him, you know, they brought in psychologists and they brought in all these people to try and help him. This is Yakubu, you know, has been known to score goals, score goals at Portsmouth. He's a top goal scorer, 20 goals a season, 16 to 20. And anyway, long and short of it was, what do you enjoy? What did you... He's like just getting back to what I used to do before, you know, using my physicality, getting past people, quick early finish. All right, okay, let's do that in training. And all of a sudden he started scoring more goals. And it was like, hang on a minute, why are we working on Yakubu's heading? He can't head the ball. He's never been known to be able to head. But what he is good at is this. Mm -hmm. And it was a great story for me, a great example, because I just think like we always identify what they're not good at. Whenever we talk about players, oh he struggled at the weekend. God, he was rubbish at this. Oh, God, they're struggling. They're not do- That coach is struggling. Tell me what he's good at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Tell me the positives. So I think it's just a, a mindset and a culture, isn't it? And if we can perhaps change that, we'll probably see more positives. But for me, you've got to maximise people's strengths. Mm. So if you've got a player who's – the reason why he got brought into the building in the first place is because he's unbelievable at running at people. He's got energy. He's got skill. He can get past people, score goals. That's what we need to be developing. But in the same breath, I'm not saying ignore his weaknesses. Because obviously you still want to tidy them up. But you, you want to make sure that his strengths, you keep maximising and keep pushing on.
0: Mm. I think it's Mick Beale had a thing with the academy, a Liverpool Academy a few years ago, where he said that uh, his advice to players was, make sure your strengths are big enough to get you in a team and then make sure your weaknesses are not big enough to get you out of the team. <laughs> I love that. Brilliant, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that.
0: Um, your book, "Let's Talk Football," which you're going to do a lot of work now with the mentees on, on the communication, focused on getting the communication right from a coaching standpoint on the field. It's probably in every sport. You know, when you look into the the aspect of coaching, this is the most important part of it: is your ability to transfer ideas to your players. Why are you the only coach who's written a book on communication?
1: Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's talk soccer. I don't. I don't know. Probably because it's it's probably a facet in coaching within the coaching process or an area in coaching that's really over overlooked. It's sort of maybe taken as a given. You know, I I don't remember going on any course really where they've actually spent a considerable amount of time talking about how you communicate your message, how you how you. Get players to communicate on the pitch, how you improve your own uh, communication, how you communicate your game style, you know, how you deal with parents, how you deal with the media or whatever it may be. There's only one course in particular, which was the Advanced Youth ward, And there was a specific block on the corner where it was about the social corner. But even then, it was a drive-by. And there wasn't a lot around communication, it was more around behaviour management and what a good learner looks like and that type of thing. I I don't know is the answer, because there's a lot of good work that people do, and obviously there's a lot of things that I've took from really experienced coaches like John Cartwright, Roger Wilkinson, and a few others over the years that I've nicked off them. But I think it's something that people maybe assume that we all do, or it's a given, but you know, my challenge to coaches is how well do you program your work? And by that, I mean, how how well do you plan the language that you're going to use in that week? So if you're constructing a training session, let's think of one session on its own as, a, as an episode. You know, have you planned your vocabulary? Have you planned your questions that you're going to ask? Now, I know when we're coaching, obviously, our questions are intuitive based on what we've observed, what we've seen. But you've still got a rough idea of the type of questions you're going to ask. Because you should know your learners and what will affect each one better. So what I talk about a lot is really having a clear understanding of what terminologies mean in order to paint a picture in the mind of the player. And if you look at American football, NFL, they're heavily invested on this side of the game, the psychology side of the game. They'll have certain game calls and certain trigger words that they use in the game that can outline Set plays can't they? Literally plays, and they've got a whole playbook of a you know million moves that they'll use in order to outwit the opponent. I know in the FA Cup recently, there's been a couple of managers that have used game calls to some degree on set pieces. I think it's starting to become more you know prevalent in the game, but I think it is an area that's massively overlooked. I'm not too sure why, but it's something that should be
0: invested in more. Mm. From your, you know, having studied a business background as well, you've done a master's in business, right? Uh, no, I did a master's
1: in uh, performance coaching, but obviously I've got a business background. I've business, companies.
0: Yeah, what's the, you know, how much of that, how much of the business area have you taken into coaching?
1: A lot, because I think it's something that we're only just getting towards now. Certainly in England, I think America's far more advanced because obviously they work at a, they're the best marketing people in the world, the best salespeople in the world. You know, and you look at club soccer in America, it's a business. A lot of them are 501Cs or their own private companies. And it's there to, it's pay to play into is the model. In England, we haven't got that. And I think that only at the top level, they're really looking at the scrutiny of how much they spend on wages, how much they're buying players for and how much they're selling players for. You know, in Europe, you look at Benfica, and a lot of them clubs, they move at the speed of business, not the speed of football. Yeah. Uh, it was a great quote that I nicked from a coach recently. and In other words, they really look at the fine margins of how we're going to make a profit, what are our operating costs, you know, what are we doing that's going to be a competitive advantage against other people. What is our competitive advantage as an organisation? You know, how are we managing our staff to produce a better product? What is our product? What is our service? And I, I don't think we really think like that in England. We should really look at our club and as individual coaches, as a business. In my opinion, as you are very good at, you know, you're Gary Kerning, you're a brand. Every coach is their own brand. You're selling something. So what is it that you're selling of value and, and how can you maximise that? What's going to be your competitive advantage? And that's something that I've took in. Thinking about myself in terms of how can I be, you know, the best person and best coach that I can be, uh, but also the organisations that I work in. You know, what is our selling point? What are we offering? And what are we offering that's meant to be of value more than, you know, the person down the road? So I think that's a massive one. I don't think enough people consider that.
0: Yeah, staying on that note, then, not enough people consider something. Um, again, I read an interview with you where you've said. About your, you know, moving out of mentorship. When I was fifteen, I rang up Sean McCauley, youth team manager at Sheffield Wednesday. I asked if I could watch some sessions. He agreed, so I went there with my notepad and watched how he worked. Uh, similar thing with Lisa Cole, who's one of our mentors, where she she pinpointed someone and basically bombarded them until they let her watch. And and Chico, <laughs> like, I think that's amazing. Like, we're not a, young coaches today aren't aggressive enough in their search for learning opportunities. In my opinion. I get 100 emails a week, easily, wanting a session or an exercise. And I get one coach in 15 years has actually come to watch a training session and communicate. Why do you think that is?
1: I don't know. I think there's probably a multitude of reasons. But it's it's weird because I get called or have been called in professional football by some people busy. (laughs) <laughs> and there's this phrase around being busy. You'll have heard it. And and some people, you know, it's just a stupid phrase. And really, you know, if you listen to people like Rio Ferdinand, Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, and they talk about the phrase busy, to them they say, yeah, you know, effectively there's nothing wrong with it. If you're obsessed, and I'm not saying about being uh, hardworking or driven by and draw attention to yourself in the wrong way you know like look at me if you're just doing it for the right reasons of you're obsessed to get better you're hungry to learn what is wrong with that and i think a lot of people are scared by you know what people might think or how they describe them uh for me i don't worry about them type of things i agree with you i think there's a big worry there's not enough people do it but one of my methods has always been you know people have told me to consolidate my learning or slow down, you're doing too much. I always used to think, like, what a load of nonsense, what a biggest load of rubbish advice that is. Literally, I remember ringing up Sean McCauley, and he wasn't the only one I rang. I rang quite a few people, but he was the only one that actually, you know, agreed. And he said, yeah, come down, watch whatever you want. And he actually allowed me to spend a lot of time watching with the youth team, and I learnt so much. And then I spent loads of time watching football in the community watching how they worked it was unbelievable and then probably one of the best mentors i've ever had is a guy called tony ellis He's the academy manager at rochdale and i rang him out the blue and i said look i'm you know i'm on my ua for b license at the time willing to learn can i come down and you know just watch and see how you do things and what have you and I literally spent months traveling from hull so you can imagine where hull is in england driving across East Yorkshire all the way to Lancashire in Rochdale, near on every week without fail, watching sessions. I wouldn't leave till 10 o'clock at night. Obviously, I'm getting home late, but I did it without fail. And then eventually, he allowed me to coach a couple of sessions voluntary. And then obviously, when I passed my beer, it ended up leading on to getting a job with Rochdale, and the rest is history. But that, my advice to anyone would be, you know, put yourself out there because... In that short story that I've given you there, you don't know what it could lead to. And if I rang Tony Ellis, you know, all them years ago back in 2010, I won't be speaking to you now in this position. So I think it's a massive one. Don't be scared. Just put yourself out, pick people's brains, try and learn as much as
0: you can. Yeah, and normally the good people are willing to share, aren't they? As well, they're they're willing to let you come in, and they know you're not really a threat if you're if you're sitting watching a training session. How? You, how much of an impact are you going to have on their whole day you know not much exactly
1: uh, the good ones don't mind because they're willing to share mm. and that is the best thing that you said I, I couldn't agree more i think the ones who are horrible miserable buggers they're <laughs> the ones that always just go like no and i can name a few of them uh, like, oh god we haven't got the time or we haven't got the resources to manage it or whatever and i always think you wouldn't be in the position you're in if somebody hadn't given you the time of day mm. So, you know, so we've got to remember that we're all on a journey, and uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with sharing, and you can learn from anybody, can't you? Definitely, right.
0: that's right. No, I mean, if we could, I think that's the thing. People, uh, you know, if I go on a trip, someone will go, "How did you set that up?" and I, you just ask, and sure, you ask twenty people. The law of averages will say five of them will come back to you. Um, our fear, yeah. our fear of rejection, maybe, maybe it goes deeper. Maybe our fear of rejection goes to that, especially in the UK it's that fear of being the social like in america they're a lot more open to you know getting after something and forget yeah. but in the uk it's almost you know for the social uh, don't be busy you know who do you think you are stay in your box and it holds a lot of good people back
1: yeah i agree with you on that one i'll tell you one story about going off too side tracking because i can't be overly talkative at times <laughs> and um, i remember like i bought myself a nice car right in England. What make was it? I'm,
0: Go get specific uh, here.
1: <laughs> Audi A4. It's the car that I'm <laughs> driving at the minute. Lovely car. I've always wanted it. I've, I've driven quite a few cars, but I, I, I quite like this make and model. So, got the because I had a BMW before and I wrote it off. It was a nightmare. So, I got <laughs> that's another story. So, I got the Audi A4, private plates. I've always had private plates since I passed my test. And one of the first things a few of the coaches said to me was, oh, Audi? Oh, who do you think you are? Flash boy. Uh. Private plates. Oh, I can tell you a story. When I bought a car in America, first thing everyone said to me was, oh, good for you. Business must be going well. That's mm. awesome. Oh, how, tell me about how you're doing well. What's your success? You know, you look at, obviously, the pursuit of happiness. And the guy said, you know, he saw the guy with the nice car. and He was like, what do you do for a living? Tell me, what do you do? I'm a stockbroker or whatever. You know that it's just a different culture altogether. People want you to do well. I remember being in uh, Gross Point in um, Michigan, Gross Point and Sinclair Shores, and I would often pick the brains of the board of directors. Who are you know some of them are bloody millionaires. They're doing really well for themselves, and just they're, they're, they're so hungry for you to be successful in your own right. So yeah, I'd agree with you. There's a different culture, isn't it?
0: Different, different mindset, but this is what this kind of conversation has been about. It's just been how you look at things and how uh, society looks at things. Last question for you, uh, and then we'll jump on this webinar. Coach development. What would you like to see change? What do we need more of, less of? What's your thoughts? Uh,
1: That's a good question. I think probably.
0: Let me let me ask you this first. Can it change? Let me ask you, change it. How much of how much of your development as a coach has been through traditional coach education or how much have you had to search um, and go through your own journey to find different experiences?
1: That'd be it. That, that's probably where I was going to go is it, not a lot through the tradition. Obviously, you're going to get some, but you, you learn mainly by the people that you're interacting with, your, your mentor groups, people that you're going to observe, sharing knowledge, You know, resources like YouTube today, Twitter, podcasts, you name it. And getting feedback from people—that's where I've done most of my learning. And getting in my car and driving to watch people—you know, you cannot. You know, there's got there's no price on that. Getting in your car and just going to see people, like you said, you've had one in, however many years you've been working—that's madness. You know, I think something that should be better is, I don't think there's enough support for recruitment. So how we recruit coaches in our in coach development. So for me, it should be when you recruit somebody. the plan for them is individual to them and developing them so whatever course you go on, formal education, they should see you as the future of that country, that generation of coaches Mm. so there should be a specific plan in place to maximise you, to get you to where you want to get to and I know that's so hard to imagine and try and conceive, I know the staff and the budget would be a nightmare but if you could have that and obviously track their record, track where they go in their journey Help them to get to the next stages, you know. So, what we do a lot is we have a lot of companies out there who, like the sports careers will help you with a CV or whatever. There's different people help you with different things. You're offering your own product with the mentoring program through you know, modern soccer coach. But, do we offer enough to really train their individual needs, or is it just a generic you come on this course and these are some of the things around the four corners? Is you know, 433 three, here's that's all like we almost chuck the content at them don't we Mm. rather than really knowing what they already know so i really coach development should be about what do they already know and then how can we take them to the next level to help them in the journey so real specifics
0: yeah which is everyone's at different levels players and coaches are all at different levels of the journey aren't they so why would you throw everything at someone and expect them to be everyone moving at the same pace Exactly, because there'll be people in the room that have got a completely different map
1: and compass to where they want to get to and where they already are. And they're listening to the same content as somebody else who's maybe going down a different path. They're at a different journey already. You know, They're working in a different domain in the game. So straight away, that person's going to walk out the room and somebody's going to go, wow, that was really insightful. I love that experience. I learned so much. And probably the other guy's going to go, I didn't learn anything. Mm-hmm. So
0: it's, it's maximizing that. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, Jared, I'm going to wrap this up because we've got to go get on the webinar now for the, for the mentees. But to be continued, let's get you on again. Um, <laughs> we've, only, we've only scratched the surface here, but I appreciate it. I'll put links to, to your book as well on it. And uh, I think it's, it's definitely well worth coaches. Uh, I completely agree. It's an area that's, that's far too often overlooked um, that we should be educating ourselves a little more on.
1: Appreciate your time and hopefully I'll be a bit snappy in my
0: chat. <laughs> Thanks to Gerard for his time and his insight there. He went on to deliver an hour and a half webinar with the mentee group on presentation, on communication, on the on the training pitch and then moving that to the game field. So really, really, really interesting stuff. I will post that during the week on on the social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter. Um, I took a lot out of that and and I'm going to get him on again because I think he's got some great insights about how we view the, the aggressive approach to coaching and how it's sometimes looked down upon in, in certain societies that maybe we should take a step back and definitely coming from, from Northern Ireland and, and being involved in America, the one thing I see in coaches in other sports is the, the fact that they're willing to do a lot more I think than the soccer community are in terms of they're willing to give things up. They're willing to go to the back end of nowhere to work with a coach or to to work for peanuts to work for the coach, and that's the way football coaches and basketball coaches work. Uh, and this this is all about. This is not having a pop at anyone or criticizing anyone. All this the, the modern soccer coach as a platform is is just to just to get us thinking in a different way. Uh, and and the one thing I would like us to think about differently from here is: Are we? You know are we programmed to think that because we get a license or because we are we are with a the team, then that should lift us or elevate us to the next standard because we should be successful um and Gerard kind of questions that there with you know being called busy or or the way he has gone about his coaching education or his coaching development is a lot different than a lot of other people so I took a lot from that like I said I'll get him on again I love people that are passionate about what they do I love people that have an energy about what they are and and what they're going to be about and he definitely does that I think there's a lot of people on on Twitter and and online that that put a bit of a negative vibe about the game and, and stand back and criticize and Gerard is definitely not one of those people so um yeah thanks to him for for coming on and for working with the mentee group I'll, I'll put something out online as well about where they are in the process this week thanks for listening to the podcast we've got some great stuff coming up as always any tweets ratings spreading the word always appreciated any feedback at gary Carneen on twitter gary at com, and email coach Carneen on facebook I appreciate you taking the time, listening to it, putting feedback out there, Um, trying to make the game better is what we're all going to be about. So, thank you so much. Have a great week. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.